This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Today, you're listening to episode 338. And if you are local to Indianapolis, I want to tell you about a 5K that's coming up down at the White River State Park. It is the Junior League of Indianapolis's Scarlet Run 5K, and it's being held to celebrate their centennial year. So the Junior League of Indianapolis is an organization of women committed to promoting volunteerism, developing women, and improving the community through the leadership of trained volunteers. And since 2000, the Junior League of Indianapolis has awarded nearly $5 million to local nonprofits. Proceeds from this run on October 3rd will allow the Junior League of Indianapolis to continue awarding grants for years to come. I have run so many races down at the White River State Park in Indianapolis, and it is such a beautiful great experience. This race will no doubt be amazing. Register by going to jlnd.org and you can use the code another five. That's another with the number five to get $5 off your registration. So go to jlnd.org and use the code another five to get $5 off your registration. Now, if you want to sign up virtually and do the virtual 5K as well, you can do the same. Just go to jlind.com and use the code ANOTHER5 for $5 off your registration. All right, so today's episode, we're talking with a mountain bike world champion, Sonia Looney. She is the world champion for the 24-hour mountain bike championships. She's also a health coach. She's written a cookbook. And she has her own podcast called The Sonia Looney Show. She interviews really interesting people on her podcast. You should definitely check it out. She also has an apparel line, Moxie and Grit. And she also has a mindset course. Sonia is really good at speaking about positive psychology, mental toughness, and mindfulness-based techniques to help people find more fulfillment in their everyday life. And she will also help you reframe your mindset when... The going is getting really tough in the middle of a race. She's got a lot of tips and techniques for that. So I think you're going to take a lot from this episode. You can find Sonia on Instagram. She is Sonia Looney over there. All right. And if you enjoy this show, make sure you reach out to her. Let her know that you enjoyed hearing from her and leave us a quick rating and review so other listeners can potentially find this show and enjoy what you are hopefully enjoying as well. Okay. Here's my conversation with Sonia. Okay, well, today on the podcast, we have Sonia Looney on the show. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to another podcaster. She has a microphone and headphones. She's all geared up and ready to go, guys. That's right. We're all set here. It's so fun to interview other podcasters because I'm always like, they're going to have a microphone. It's awesome. (laughs) So we connected on Twitter when I was looking for plant-based vegetarian, not maybe not vegan, but plant-based cookbooks. And you sent me a PDF of your cookbook, which is really awesome. Yeah, it was really fun to make that cookbook. It's, it's a digital cookbook and I just have all these recipes that I just regularly make. And I thought a lot of times people don't want to eat quote healthy because it's too much work. So I wanted to make sure that mine were super easy and tasty. And yeah, that's something that's important in our household for sure. Yeah. Do you, have you checked out the Oshi Glows cookbooks? Yes. I wish that I was as talented as Angela, I think is her name, (laughs) but that's, yeah, her cookbooks make regular and her app make regular appearances in our menu planning every single week. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, I love her recipes but they are very detailed. Like it is, it's never going to be just like a 20 minute dinner prep. That's true. Although there are a few things in the app that are really easy um, and really quick, but you have to find them. (laughs) Okay. What are some of your favorites? Uh, Well, there's one, I think she calls it energizing broccoli doll. And it's just like, it's like lentils, broccoli, coconut milk, a bunch of um, 
you know, spices like cumin and curry powder and things like that. And it's awesome. And our son loves it too, which is pretty cool. Cause he's only, you know, one, he's one and a half almost do it now because man, <laughs> some of my kids, they started getting Cheerios when they were like, I don't know, eight months. And that's, that was their diet for the next three years <laughs> because like, you know, once I got to kid three, I got lazy with trying to introduce new foods because I was just trying to survive so no kidding <laughs> you know it's like I feel like I kind of I don't know if I dropped the ball but I mean they're fine they're healthy kids but um that's really good that he eats that yeah it's so funny I mean I only have one right now but I could just imagine you know trying to do everything perfect with the first one and yeah. then the second one you're like oh my gosh this is this is a lot and then the third one you're like I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is true. And I know that there are parents that are still going strong with those second, third, fourth kids. But um, I was in when my third and fourth were born, I was in pure survival mode. And I let me just say, I did cloth diapers with my first and I made homemade baby food. And that, and if anybody follows me on Instagram, know they know that I do not live that life anymore. But I tried. And, you know, like, I think at the time with my first son, like, I'm glad I did those things. It was fun for me to do with him and his cloth diapers were real stinking cute, but I, I cannot imagine having the patience for a cloth diaper today. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, they're a lot of work and they're honestly, no offense to you cloth diapers out there. They're really gross. <laughs> do you do them? No, no. <laughs> um, I had aspirations to do it. And then our son was born right at the beginning, like literally the beginning of the pandemic, March 15th, 2020. And we were like, yeah, we're going to do these like services where they come pick it up. Uh -huh. And no, no, haven't done the cloth diapers. No, <laughs> just don't do them. Um, okay. So this is fun because even though this is a running podcast, we have a mountain biker, a mountain biking world champion on the show. Um, you said you're running a little bit now. Are you still doing that? Yeah. And the funny thing that most people don't know is I actually found the keyhole to endurance sports and consequently to finding out who I was and what I wanted out of life through running. And I started running at the end of high school. Um, it was the first thing that I ever did for me. And I was a hyper achiever in all these other areas. But this was something that I wasn't, I just wanted to do for myself. And I wanted to run a marathon. And that completely changed my perspective of what I was capable of and what I wanted out of my life. And it was because of running that I found mountain biking. Yeah, I didn't know that at all. That's really exciting. Tell us about that. Like, who encouraged you to start running? Did you join a team? When did you run your first marathon? No, I didn't join a team. It was just something I saw in like women's health or maybe I heard somebody talk about it in my class, but there was no, I didn't know anybody that was doing it. And that's, I guess that's sort of just something I've always done is I just get interested in something and I want to do it. And, um, I just started running and I bought, you know, the books on how to train for a marathon and it was the Duke city marathon in Albuquerque, New Mexico, because that's where I grew up. Um, and I wasn't anything spectacular, you know, but I ran my first marathon when I was 18 and I was doing all these different races, like 10 K races and the UNM, um, university of New Mexico cross country coach actually invited me to come walk on their team, um, for the following year. But I ended up finding mountain biking that summer. So I, and I went all in on mountain biking and I kind of stopped the running gig, but it was something that I would do periodically for cross training over the years. And now there's just big challenges on the horizon that I'm really interested in doing because I've been racing mountain bikes for 17 years and I've done some really amazing adventures and I'm so grateful for that. But I just want to do something that makes my palms sweaty. Mm. And some of these, some of these ultra running, you know, trail races and things like that make my palms sweaty. So I, it's going to take some time to build up to that. But um, yeah, I run three to four days a week now. Okay. I'm so curious. Do you have siblings? I have a brother, okay. a younger brother. I'm just curious where the like edge for endurance and like testing your limits comes from. Does, is this something that your parents pass down to you? Are they adventurous? Um, no, I mean, they're adventurous, but they, nobody in my family anywhere is an endurance athlete. It just, huh. I just sort of came into my own and found it for myself. And I think that that's why it's important to surround yourself with people who are going to support you and who you look up to because through, you know, I started running and then I was going to the gym and I saw other runners at the gym. So that's how I kind of started getting ingrained in that community. And then when I started mountain biking at my first race, I met, you know, great people and I, w I rode for the UNM cycling team and that also really helped me. And then I moved to Boulder, Colorado because 
I said, this is where I need to be if I want to be an endurance athlete. And that really supported, you know, who I wanted to be. And whenever everybody else around you is, has similar dreams, it doesn't make your dreams seem so far fetched or even, you know, quote a stupid hobby to quote other people who were, you know, looking at what I wanted to achieve in my athletic career. And I just never expected myself to be or to, to be where I am. I wanted to be a pro soccer player growing up and like, I wanted to be like Mia Hamm. And then I wanted to be a, a tennis player. Cause that's what I was doing, you know, as my sport in high school. So did you just like bounce around growing up though? I'm at this place in my parenting where my kids are getting to the stage where I'm like, I want them to start trying different sports now. You know, I was like so married to not over activity in if that word works the mm-hmm. kids, mostly because I didn't want to serve as a taxi cab, right? Like I didn't want to constantly just be driving my four-year-old to all these practices <laughs> where he could just play in the front yard. Uh, but now my oldest is nine and I just, I want to give him the opportunity to see what he loves to do, right? So we'll, we're doing little things here and there. And I'm just, I'm always curious to talk to people who end up being really adventurous and end up going all in on something um, what their childhood was like, like what your parents did or what you did that could have contributed to these passions? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really great question and also a conundrum as a parent. My parents said, look, you you get to pick one activity and do that. So I had to pick my one activity. But as I got older, running was something that I was doing and I would just run to the gym. I'd run as a form of transportation and then or I'd run before tennis practice. But I think that for me, the love of the mountains came because my family took me camping, you know, from a young age. And that was something we always did as a family. And still, when I look back at my life and say, what are the most, you know, the fondest trips and memories? It's it's camping trips. So I think that got me interested in wanting to do things that were in the outdoors. But I don't know, you know, there's the family, the, the family support question. And my family didn't support me at all to become a a pro mountain biker or a runner. Like those weren't things that were, um, you know, of value to them and everybody, you know, every parent is doing their best and they did support me in lots of other great ways, but that, that didn't come from my family. That came from me and the people that I wanted to be around. So I think that people's kids and our kids, you know, they'll find their own way and we can do the best that we can to help, you know, guide them, but they're going to end up sifting to the, 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 the real interests are going to sift to the surface. Yeah. I love that. Um, go back to the marathon really quick. What did you, what, <laughs> is that the only one you've done? I did it twice, the Duke City one, but I did it year one. And then year two was the craziest thing. I've always been really stubborn and I pulled my hamstring. It was like the week before the marathon. Ugh. And I, like my first marathon, I did like a 345. And the second marathon, I wanted to do like a 320. And I was training really well and everything was going, you know, well for that. But I pulled this muscle and then, I didn't, I I didn't know any better. So I I said, you know what, I'm just going to do the marathon anyway. And it did not go well. Mm. I finished, but it was, it was horrible. And it made me want to quit running basically. Um, and that injury took years actually to heal itself. So uh, I've done lots of stupid things, you know, pushing through injuries (laughs) and trying to know the difference. Like there are times where you can push through an injury and knowing the difference is really hard. Yeah. And really important, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. So you do the two marathons and then you discover mountain biking. How did you discover it? Actually, it wouldn't be what everybody thinks. Um, I would go to spin class at the gym because I would get injured and I had a stress fracture my senior year of high school, like all these things. So I would just be doing elliptical trainer and spin class. And then these guys in my work invited me to go mountain biking. I was a student intern in engineering and these guys invited me and I had never gone mountain bike. I mean, maybe I rode a mountain bike in middle school. I remember my dad and I went to purgatory or Durango mountain resort and we rented bikes and we rode the ski lift up and we walked our bikes down. So that was my experience mountain biking. But I just thought, yeah, I'll give it a try. And I got this old bike that was my brother's bike, probably from Walmart out of the shed. And I took it mountain biking and, um, they challenged me in two weeks to do my first race. So I was like, okay, I'm all in, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And I did my first race. And the rest is history. I mean, I just, I was like, this is an amazing sport and I want more of this. And my first race wasn't what everybody would imagine. Um, you know, we always hear these stories that appear to be like, oh, instant talent uh-huh. and success. 
It's like, my bike didn't work. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> um, I was the last, last person to finish. Like everybody had gone home and everybody was waiting for me or the race promoter was waiting for me to finish. And it was because I signed up. So at the time you could actually just sign up for whatever category you wanted. So there's um, beginner sport, expert and pro, and you couldn't sign up for the pro without, you know, having a license. But I decided I would sign up for the sport category because <laughs> it was the New Mexico state championship. And it was a longer distance than I had ever done, but no one was signed up. So I thought, well, I'll just sign up for this category so I can just win. And, um, yeah, I finished and I was the sport state champion, but only because I was the only person in that category. <laughs> like were there males doing it and you were the only female? Uh, well, you only compete against like females only compete against females. Oh, yeah, okay. So there were guys there, but they okay. were all long. Everybody was long gone They're by the time ahead. I finished. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. So were you, how far was that race? Like how, what was the distance? I don't remember. It was probably like 15 miles or something like okay. nothing crazy. Oh, one, I love that you were just like, okay, yeah, let's just do it. Cause I oftentimes do think some of the best things in life come from experiences like that. Like, <laughs> I don't know much about it, but I'm just going to try it. And then you realize you love it. But when it's that hard and difficult like, did you finish thinking, I want to try again? Or did you finish feeling discouraged because it was so difficult? I, I finished thinking, I'm I'm going all in on this. Mm. I went to the bike shop. I spent all of my life savings <laughs> on a bike. And I started racing every single weekend. Every and weekend. I went, and I started racing the beginner category where I belonged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so when did you discover that it, you have some talent, but also your hard work and how driven you are? is a massive component in this as well. When did you discover that you could compete on a world stage? You know, um, any day now? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, it was when I switched disciplines because I was trying to race cross-country discipline, which is the 20 miles or less, um, you know, hour and a half style of racing. And I was doing that and I was racing, you know, I became a pro in two years by, you know, going to races at the national level and upgrading. But I just was never at the very top of the heap um, as a pro mountain biker in cross country. And I I'd tried for like six years and racing nationally and going all in. And I, I was always not, I was better than mid pack, but I was nowhere near the front group. And I thought to myself, like, do I want to keep investing everything? Like I was going and I was using my you know credit card debt and student loans and just going all in to try and do the sport. And I had just sort of plateaued. So I didn't really know what to do next. And I didn't know if I should keep trying, but then someone suggested that I try an endurance race, like a 50 mile or a hundred mile mountain bike race. And I thought, well, I, I love riding my bike. And one of the reasons I'm kind of not as excited about cross country racing is because you would go to these amazing places, but you would only ride this like short five mile loop and you'd ride it three times mm. for the race or whatever the course would be. And then you wouldn't get to do much riding. And I just really wanted to explore and have these big adventures and that curiosity about the mountains was always there. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll just give it a try and I'll, I'll see, you know, how I do. And I ended up loving it. And I also ended up being really good at it, which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> I mean, you all listening, we have to like share with everybody the places around the world you have traveled to do these <laughs> races. I mean, when you, I'm going to link your TED talk about your Nepal race, but can you kind of give us a little synopsis of that? I, I just, I started listening to it in the kitchen and my husband was making lunch and he was walking around and he was like, she went by herself. <laughs> so tell me about that experience. I just, I cannot, I don't want to say I'm not a brave person, but I feel like I'm not brave enough to do those things. So talk to us about that. You know, I didn't really feel like I was going alone because I knew other people that were going to be at the race and I trusted the organization of the race. So, you know, I wasn't just off on a plane to Nepal to have some adventure, an unknown adventure, but yeah, like I decided, so I started doing these hundred milers and then I did a couple, um, multi-day stage races. Uh, well, just one, I guess in Colorado. And then, um, I thought, well, I like this multi-day format where you're racing for, you know, seven plus days in a row and you get to ride your bike a lot and you get to see lots of different trails. Like, and this is real adventure, but what would happen if I left the country and started doing this around the world? And I was really inspired by, at, at the time he was a boyfriend, but he, uh, and now, you know, he's a friend, but, um, he got into this race and I thought, wow, that'd be cool to go to Nepal. Like I, I want to do that. So I managed to get myself to this race and you know, 
endurance sports, it's hard to fund the, the experience, right? Like runners, cycling, whatever it is, it's, it's not a, like you're not getting rich doing it and it's hard to go to some of these things. So I had to get creative as to how I was going to make this happen because I was, I think I might've, no, I was done with graduate school by then, but I, I was not, you know, somebody that was really affluent and, you know, heavily supported. So I thought, well, I love writing like magazine articles and things like that. So I'm just going to start pitching stories to magazines. And I start, so I just would do that. I'd say, Hey, I'm going to write about this adventure and the experience that I had and you can publish it in this magazine. And then I'd go to the race and I'd say, Hey, I'm a journalist and I'm also a professional writer. I'm going to write the, a future story. Can I have a free entry to your race? Mm. And then I would just have to come up with the plane ticket and I'd, I'd be set. So I did that for a really long time to be able to go to these races. Smart. That's so smart. Um, okay, so I want to hear a little bit about that race specifically. And you you do need to go mm-hmm. listen to her TED Talk. But, I mean, the altitude, can you, can you tell everybody a little bit about what that race entailed? Yeah, so I did the race. It was in 2012 and then also in 2013. But it was a 10-day mountain bike stage race in the Himalaya across the Annapurna Circuit in Nepal. So that meant that you started at um, one of the lower altitudes, like I don't know exactly what it was. And then over time, you would eventually top out at Throng La Pass, which is at 17,769 feet. You'd have to hike your bike through the snow and figure out a way to strap your bike to your back. Um, The ultimate adventure. And then the last day would be, you know, descending further down with some flat riding. So I was definitely intimidated about the altitude because even though I lived in Colorado at the time and I had, you know, had adventures at 14,000 feet, you're in a whole different, you know, place when you're going up to nearly 18,000 feet and you're in a third world country. Um, and at the time, um, it wasn't very developed. So I think now there's a road where if something happened, a car could pick you up. But at that time, if something bad happened to you, you got sick or injured or whatever, the only way to get help is you'd have to go back by yourself or go back on a yak or something. There wasn't like race support. Um, so I was afraid of something bad happening. When I think back, just telling the story, I'm like, wow, I, I was really brave. <laughs> you were very brave. <laughs> but it, it, it just, I wasn't, it was never like, oh, I can't, I can't, I shouldn't go to this, but it was like, I'm kind of worried about something happening, but I just have to do everything that I can to prepare for this. And I have to trust that I'm going to be able to get myself through this race. And honestly, all of this confidence and this courage, it literally started because of the first marathon I ran. Uh, Wow. What about the marathon made you feel that way? I feel like some people run their first marathon and they're like, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. I never want to do it again. And then we all sign up again eventually. But what was the like what was the moment for you that you felt that unlocking of the potential? I think it's just proving to yourself that you can do hard things. And you know, the marathon was the first big hard thing that I mean, it's like I was I was a good student and I was good in band and all these things, but for I I've, I've actually been trying to do some research as to why endurance sports mm. build confidence more than something like, you know, being first chair in school and and band or like being a a really top academic. And there's just something about it that I I just proved to myself that I was capable of this. And then I just started building on that by taking on other challenges. And I know that anyone listening who's done anything that they're proud of, like the biggest challenges in your life that you accomplished, or maybe you didn't even quite accomplish it. It was just something that you worked towards that's probably the most meaningful thing in your life. And whenever you take on something else that's hard, you might look at that and say, well, I was able to do X. Well, maybe I can do something else. So it's just all, all of this has been building on itself. And it's just an amazing example of self-efficacy and why it's so important to push yourself. Because even when you come up short, you still learn so much and you realize that, yeah, like this is what makes life worth living. Wow, that's so good. Hey friends, a quick break here to let you know about trust and will. Okay, so we all know we need one, a will, that is, but most of us put off creating a trust or will because it sounds complex and expensive, but now it doesn't have to be thanks to the online estate planning experts at Trust and Will. If you're a mom or a dad, we know you'd do anything to protect your family, but many people don't have a trust or a will in place. 
So make sure your loved ones are taken care of by creating an estate plan online with Trust and Will. I've checked out their website and it is super easy to use. They give you a quiz and it will help you feel at ease about all the things that you need to get in place. This isn't something I particularly love thinking about or talking about, but the fact that their website is so easy to personalize and use makes me feel at ease. So you guys can all gain a peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash another and get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait. Go right now. This is really important. Get 10% off plus free shipping at trustandwill.com slash another. Trustandwill.com slash another. All right. Back to the show. Okay. So... Um, is the Nepal race, like what other races that are similar to that go up on the charts of like danger and you had to be really brave because I don't know, you might die. <laughs> like you, I know you've been to like 25 countries. So what are some of the other races like that? And like what countries, um, that had a similar experience that you could share about? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's all the third world countries because it adds an extra layer of complication. But um, yeah, like going to the Sahara Desert and racing there was pretty interesting and really challenging. And actually, that race was chartered by a Spanish race production company. So almost nobody spoke English and the briefing was in Spanish, which I don't really speak Spanish. So that was interesting. Um, you know, there's been some races. I, I pick races based on the exoticness and mm-hmm. the challenge of it. Like, I don't want some, I, I, I'll do races, you know, that are kind of normal that people do, but I really want races that are going to like get me way outside my comfort zone, get me way outside of, of what I've seen in my life because those have really given me true perspective and yeah, racing in like Sri Lanka or going to Haiti, which, um, you know, that was like the very first mountain bike race ever in Haiti. And there's only 30 people that went like going there, um, going to Mongolia was probably the most dangerous of all the races I went to because the race organization itself did a horrible job. Um, so it was actually dangerous because of that. Like if anything happened, mm. anything went sideways and things did go sideways, you're like, wow, like this could, this could end badly for everybody. <laughs> wow. Where along this journey? So you went pro in, was it tw- 2007? I think so. Or no, I think it was like 2005, 2006. 2005. I can't remember. <laughs> okay, where along this journey did you meet your husband? Yes, yeah, so I met my husband at a race in Vancouver, a mountain bike stage race called BC Bike Race in 2012. Okay. And um, that was, yeah, that was kind of the beginnings of, I started stage racing, it was in 09 or 2010. So this was one of the, the earlier races I had done. And I remember like literally like just trying to get to this race was such a challenge because I was working in the bike industry for this company, but they, they wouldn't cover the cost of me getting to the race. And I had a work trip in Seattle. So I just found a way to get up to Vancouver for this race. I somehow was staying in a hotel that was like in a dangerous area, but it was the only (laughs) hotel I could afford, but I just didn't even know that it was, I was in danger. Um, (laughs) It's just so funny. And then I ended up taking a Greyhound bus after the race to get to Seattle so that I could go to work. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So is he a mountain biker too? He is. So he was doing the race. Um, at the time, so this race was crazy because the riding in British Columbia, which is actually now where I live is like a different sport. It's incredibly steep and rocky and you just would never think that anybody could ride anything here. So I was completely under equipped with the bike that I brought. It was pouring rain. And in a lot of places they close the trails when it's raining because it damages the trail. So I'd never really ridden in these types of conditions. I was on the completely wrong bike. Um, but we were both racing and I was, I was, the races offer free camping. So I was like camping at the race in the (laughs) rain and I broke my first bone at the, on the last day of the race, I broke my wrist and all this stuff happened. But the cool thing about stage racing is that especially races that aren't like a thousand people is that you end up spending time with kind of the same group of people. Mm. You, you end up racing around the same group of people after the race, you get to share stories. You know, everybody might be going different speeds, but everybody has a story to tell when they get to the finish line and everybody's there with the same values and the same reasons that they're taking on or similar reasons are taking on challenges like this. So I got to know my husband, Matt, just by, you know, 
seeing him at the the dinner table and just hanging out. So that was that was unexpected and pretty cool. <laughs> okay, I'm so curious. Like the way you explain this, I'm like, this sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> like <laughs> staying at a scary hotel, being raining on my mountain bike in the middle of the woods. Granted, I'm not a mountain biker and I'm not a camper, but were there moments where you're like, where you wondered like, what am I even doing here right now? Oh yeah, there's lots of times where I think this sucks, like yeah. a lot of the different events I've done, but it's a temporary feeling. And it's like you said, somebody who's done a marathon, that they might finish and be like, oh my God, that was horrible. But then the next day they're like, when's the next one? Yeah. It's just like that type two fun. Uh-huh. It's just, I don't know. It, I think it's, it's so hard sometimes that the joy that you experience on the other end of the spectrum is, is so elating. And it just, it makes you feel so alive in ways that you wouldn't feel alive in your daily life. Although as a new parent, <laughs> I have to say there are lots of highs and lows. I appreciate that because I'm, I, it's interesting because I'm at a phase of my parenting where I'm out of the baby stage. My kids are, are three, four, six, and nine. And so it's less tiring for those physical reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, you know, whatever people get up sometimes in the night, but it's just way different than a baby getting up in the middle of the night. Um, but just the shifting of emotional needs and also physical needs in regards to people need to be taken to places more and things like that. I'm like, was it easier to train when I had toddlers, you know, <laughs> because there's just so many other directions now. Um, but I do think that it's important to acknowledge that like, physical and emotional exhaustion that comes with being a parent because you really can't compare it to anything else. No, you can't. I mean, I would say that the fatigue of pregnancy is like jet lag after doing a seven day race that just never goes away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And every time I'm pregnant and I feel that way, I'm like, am I just being lazy? Like, do I feel this bad? And then you look back and you're like, no, that was so hard. Yeah, I think that especially as athletes, when you get pregnant, you're used to just pushing through mm-hmm. whenever you're tired. But there are certain situations where you shouldn't just push through right. if you're tired and not beating yourself up in the process and not losing yourself in the process, especially if your identity is like, yeah, like I'm somebody who goes out and does, you know, big adventures and you might not be able to do that. And you might not be able to do that after your kids come either, either because you don't want to because of your shifted priorities or maybe you don't have the support to do that. I'm curious as someone who is so knee deep in big time adventures, did you struggle <laughs> with that when you were pregnant? Um, initially I would say it was hard, um, just because I wasn't used to feeling chronically bad on my bike. Yeah. Um, and that was hard, but once I let go, cause it's, you always hear control the controllables, but really there's a letting go portion of that. And once I learned to let go of, okay, I don't need to be training these hours. I need to be taking care of myself, whatever that looks like and being healthy. And then I think a lot of people, um, especially like, endurance athletes, they look at Strava and they look at the number of hours and that becomes like how worthy they are and how good their training was. But that's not necessarily the case. Like you can do a lot in less than 10 hours a week. And even in five to seven hours a week, there's a lot that you can do with that. And, um, you know, accepting that, Hey, like this isn't my worth as an athlete is so important and so hard to do. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about the world championships race and then we're going to shift to mindset because I definitely want to not that you haven't been giving us like all these great little pieces here and there already (laughs) but um talk to us about the 2015 24-hour hour racing world championship that you were the champion of what does that race look like yeah um well it's actually pretty pretty funny or ironic so I've done a lot of 24-hour racing and in fact I forgot how many I had done just because it was something that I would just sprinkle in along the way throughout, you know, through years. So I had done like, you know, four person race where you trade off, you know, every, everyone does one lap and just you trade over the course of 24 hours. Oh, so I should, I should say for people who don't know what 24 hour racing is, it's, it's one lap and it's whoever rides the most laps in 24 hours wins. How long is a lap? Uh, usually between an hour to an hour and a half. Okay. Is it like on a cross country type mountain biking course? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and so if you're doing like a four person or a five person team, like you just every, whatever, four to five to six hours, depending on 
the course in your team, you ride a lap and you ride as hard as you can. And then there's like two person format where if you want to win, you have to trade every lap, which is, I think is harder than going solo because you have to ride hard every other hour and you know, like you never really get to rest and your legs feel awful when you get started. So that's probably the hardest. And then there's solo where you just ride by, you know, you ride for 24 hours straight and you know, things like sitting down in between laps is a bad idea. You have to have your lights dialed, your nutrition dialed. Um, this is, this sounds kind of crazy, but some people actually temporarily go blind if they try to do a 24 hour solo race. Oh my gosh. So for, for obvious, like I had never done one before I had done, like there's this trail called the va- or a race called the vapor trail 125 in Colorado, where you start at 10 o'clock at night in Salida. And it's a 125 mile mountain bike l- loop, like one loop with, um, like 22,000 feet of climbing. So I had done that, but I had never done a solo. And I, it was something that I really wanted to check off my list is was the solo 24, not something I was excited about, but something to check off. So it was like six weeks before the race. I didn't even know it was happening, but a friend of mine was like, Hey, did you know that 24 hour worlds are in California this year? And I was like, no, I didn't. Well, maybe I should just give it a try. So my, like my husband was my only support person. <laughs> and I just, I just talked to some of the people who had had great success racing solo and asked them what they did. And, um, I knew I had had experience, you know, riding my bike all night. I knew I had had experience in 24 hour racing. So I just came up with a race plan and I hoped that it would work out. And I was conservative with my pacing and yeah, I ended up winning the race. And, you know, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was just there to like hopefully check, check this 24 hour solo off and maybe do well. But yeah, there was like the 24 hour adventure or the adventure racing world champion was there. And like wow. some of these other people who were really experienced. Um, so it was hard because I had to really p- be focused on riding my own race. And I think a much more important, broader lesson of that is like, it's so easy to be focused on what everybody else is doing at what pace people are living their lives or what their achievements are. And really you're going to get the most out of yourself if you try not to pay attention to what everybody else is doing and just focus on riding your own race or living your own life, because you're going to get the best out of yourself by doing that. And if I had tried to look at what everybody else was doing and go the same speed as everybody else or whatever, like I might not have even finished the race. Man, that's so true. That's one thing. This is such a side note of that is like, that's one thing that sucks about social media is anybody gets drawn into that seeing what other anybody anybody gets and I, if you I, say you I don't do. you're lying <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right I mean I you know I just think that even if people try to be super real and organic on social media and I and I feel that I am that way you know with my own stuff you still don't see everything like nobody sees me fighting with my husband like everybody fights at some point and things like that nobody sees those things and so no matter how real you try to be or just portray yourself like I'm not going to be fake it's never the whole picture yeah and also you can't control how people interpret what you're putting out there like you might be as genuine and authentic as possible which I think many of us strive to do but if somebody is feeling you know less than or they're feeling insecure like that that post could trigger them and you never would have wanted that to happen so totally yeah, I, I or you're, you yourself could be triggered by somebody that you really like, like a, a friend and they're, they're doing something and you could feel, I think it's just having the awareness around all the feelings. Like I'm feeling jealous right now, or I'm feeling, you know, anger. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm better than somebody right now. And, and realizing like, Hey, like this is just a, an emotion. This doesn't mean that this is like defining my life or what I should do next. So, so good. Um, okay. How many laps did you get in? Like how do you know how many miles ish you did in that 24 hour period? I don't remember the miles, but I remember that I did like about 30,000 feet of climbing. <laughs> so um did you stop and sleep at all? I know I don't know if when you're a world champion you probably don't do that. <laughs> no, I stopped. This is probably horrible for my kidneys, but I stopped once to go to the bathroom and I remember it was horrible. Like I got off my bike and my feet hurt so bad and my back was screaming at me and it was just because I, I said, I'm not getting off my bike mm. unless I have to go to the bathroom. And that's the only reason I'm stepping off my bike. Um, so yeah, there was no sleeping. <laughs> I think I was stopped for a total of seven minutes. It was hard. It was, it was, I mean, the worst part was actually when you finish because you're kind of in this like trance and in the zone. But I remember afterwards, like we were staying in a hotel that had a handicapped bath- bathroom 
and I needed to hold on to the the sides, you know, the little handles because my back was so screwed up. I couldn't stand or sit. And to get in the car after the race, I literally had to stick my head in the car and just fall straight in. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, you know, when you when you win a when you become 24-hour world champion, well, now you get invited to defend your title. So the next year was in New Zealand and I, I honestly didn't really want to defend my title. I didn't really like 24 hour racing and I was like, God, now I got to go to this race. And then I ended up, um, not on purpose, but I ended up crashing and getting a, a concussion about, you know, five days before the race. So I made the decision to not race because you're racing a 24 hour mountain bike race with a concussion's a obviously bad idea. And then, but I was kind of bummed. And then my husband was like, you know what? Like, you don't actually like this style of racing mm -hmm. and you probably would have won again. And then you would have been on this, <laughs> this of having to race 24 hour race solos. Uh, what's your favorite distance and type of event? Um, I love for single day. I love hundred mile mountain bike races. And then I love my favorite is like seven day mountain bike stage races, especially the ones that are longer. Cause there's different styles. There's like, you know, cross country length or like two and a half to three hours a day. But then there's ones that are like, you know, one day might be two hours, one day might be eight hours. And the ones that have, you know, you're accumulating 30 to 35 hours of racing over the course of a week. I love those because they're the hardest. Anything can happen. It requires having a lot of different skills in your toolbox. Um, and I feel like it's a true test of endurance, whereas the shorter ones may not necessarily be the case. If you were a track athlete, you would for sure be a steeplechaser. <laughs> just throw in some barriers in my way oh my gosh I I I can't jump and I would definitely <laughs> fall on my face I fall on my face trail running actually I <laughs> it happens a lot oh my gosh okay uh so we need to get into the mindset thing a little bit and I know I already said that you've been giving us little pieces here and there just throughout this conversation. But I know that's one of the things that you've done a lot of research on and you have a course on it. Um, and obviously from doing all these like very intense events, this is something that you've worked on and you have a really, you've like crafted this like really great way to handle mindset. You know, anytime you're in a marathon, anytime you're in a mountain bike race, there will be dark, dark moments. We've all had them. So maybe let's start there. Let's start at a dark moment. Give us some steps. Yeah. So number one, expect the dark moment to come. I think a lot of times we think, oh, everything's going to be fine or it's not going to happen to me. And even the most optimistic, happiest, highest performing people, maybe especially those people have dark moments. So number one, accepting that it's going to be there. Um, number two, like it's not going to define you. It's just something that's happening like the weather. So knowing that you're not going to stay there and that it's not going to be permanent is so important. And also knowing that, I mean, there are certain circumstances where you shouldn't just keep pushing through, um, you know, especially in the cases of injury or depression um, or things like that. You shouldn't just push through. But if you don't have any of that going on, like no, knowing that it's like peaks and valleys it's going to happen, but it's going to get better. So you have to have that optimistic perspective, knowing it's going to get better. And the only way to do that is by practicing it. So when you have a dark moment and you quit, you're, you're training yourself that you can't do it and that you're going to just quit every single time. But if you look back and find a time or think of a time where you had a dark moment and you got past it, then maybe you'll realize that, yeah, I can get past this. And even looking for opportunity in those challenges, like, Hey, like, you know, how can I still find joy if things aren't going my way or if I'm cramping or if I feel like if I'm vomiting, like how, how can I still find joy in this? <laughs> and it might seem crazy, but it's, it's a skill. And if you keep working at it in your training, um, you can look at it in your life, like any type of challenge you're having, like, where can I find the opportunity to be better here? Did you ever have a race or moment where you did give in and you did quit? And what did you learn from that? Um, I've never quit a race just because it wasn't going well. Like the races that I've quit, there was actually something very physically wrong with me. Like I had to, like I have to get an IV or whatever. Um, but there were races I didn't quit, but I wanted to quit. And especially in my early career as a pro cyclist, like I just had high expectations of myself and I was finishing near the back, you know, it was my first year as a pro and that's to be expected, but I wasn't used to not being good at something. And I, at the time, you know, I was a perfectionist and I didn't accept myself if I wasn't at the very top. 
So it was really challenging. And I would like fantasize about stabbing holes in my tires or like getting lost and not being able to finish, but asking yourself why. And it was because I was so afraid of what other people would think about me. And I was so afraid that that would mean that I wasn't lovable if I wasn't an achiever. And that was a huge realization. And honestly, it was from going to yoga and having these really great yoga instructors that were more on the spiritual level that really helped me embrace that. And it's something that I still have to work on because I still, I still deep down think that if I am achieving more, people are going to love me more. And I, every single day have to remind myself like, that's not the case. Um, I'm really fortunate that my husband, like he will, he'll even say to me cause he knows I need to hear it. Like, I don't care what you're going to achieve. I'm, I love you no matter what. And yeah, it's, it's a tough place. And I think a lot of people can relate with that, but most people wouldn't want to admit that out loud to themselves. Cause it's a hard thing to accept. Yeah. I think it's brave. I'm using that word again to admit that because I do think most of us feel that way. I mean, I just, I think even think about my work on this podcast or if I run a marathon PR, as much as you want it to be self-motivated, other people's accolades feel really good. Yeah. Like getting recognition because we're, we're pack animals. Like we're not designed to be these isolated creatures and we want to fit in and we want people to like us. And I think that's okay. But where it gets not okay is when you start defining your entire self-worth or the success of what you're doing based on what somebody else thinks. Yeah, you can't control that. No. Hey friends, a quick break here to thank Beam for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, check out their Dream Blend. It's a delicious blend of sleep-enhancing vitamins, minerals, nano-hemp, and more. I drink it every night. It's like this delicious take on hot chocolate. Helps me calm down and it's a great nightly routine. They also have an amazing hydration line. I personally love the Elevate Recovery Mix the best. It's a hydrating electrolyte powder formulated with non-GMO collagen peptides, BCAA for supportive joint and muscle health, and it has a rejuvenating fresh lemon flavor. I have looked for a great electrolyte mix for years and I have found Beam and it is my favorite I've tried over my years and years and years of running. You can go to beamtlc.com and use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. That's beamtlc.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. All right, back to the show. Oh my gosh, I loved this Instagram post you recently did. And it you said, this is what I came here for. Like, I don't know if it was like right before a big workout or something like that. Like you started the workout and you start feeling the hurt and that's what you say to yourself. I love the idea of that. I love the idea of being at mile 22 of a marathon when you are like in the pain (laughs) cave and just saying to yourself, this is what I came here for. Yeah, I think it helps distance yourself from the pain or the struggle that you're feeling because it reminds you like, yeah, this is what I signed up for. But a lot of times you forget like I actually didn't just sign up for the, the, all the rosy things I signed up for the pain. I signed up for the challenge. And without that, there might not be as much meaning in this. Yeah. That's so, so good. Um, let's talk about finding fulfillment in sport and everyday life when there are days when it feels mundane and you wake up and you're like, I know my day is going to be better if I go run for an hour or whatever the activity is, but you are just not motivated. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can relate with this so much right now. Um, I started talking about this a lot when I was pregnant because, you know, I was really committed to not overdoing it. I don't want people to feel like, yeah, I was overdoing it and everybody's body is different and you have to, um, you know, do what works best for you. But I didn't want to sell myself short. And so many times, we just don't feel like getting started. And it's like, oh, just getting dressed feels so hard. The idea of it feels so hard. And so I lowered the barrier of entry so low that all I had to do was show up. And that became my mantra. And it's a mantra that I continue to carry with me. In fact, I made a little like sticker for my bike that says show up because that's the most important thing in life is to show up for yourself. So I would commit to going out and riding my bike for five minutes. The same goes for running. If I don't feel like going out for a run, commit to five minutes. And if you want to quit after five minutes, go home, 
because that probably means that you shouldn't be out there. You need a rest day. But a lot of times it's our mind telling us, making up every excuse not to get started and you become your own worst enemy. So if you could just get started, if you're a writer, just start typing something. Mm -hmm. If you're a runner, just start moving your feet, just start moving your body because your motivation will follow that action. And it's so hard to just wait to get motivated to get started. Oftentimes you need to take action in order to get motivated. Um, so I, now, I mean, I have a, a one and a half year old. We don't have any childcare. It is freaking hard some days. Um, and I don't want to get out there, but just getting started is important. And then try not to judge yourself because mm -hmm. You know, all of us are in different seasons of our lives. There's, we, we're still, you know, struggling with this global pandemic. There's a lot of inputs in our lives, and expecting yourself to be where you were at your very, very best at every single time you go out for an activity is an unrealistic expectation. So, being able to meet yourself with compassion and say, "Hey, I'm doing this because this is important for me, not because I have to be at my very best every single day," is another important, uh, important place to come from. Yeah. I, um, we have moved recently from Indiana to North Carolina and we, so we moved late July and I told myself throughout that process, I knew life was going to feel crazy. They say that moving's like one of the most stressful things you can do. You just <laughs> did it too, right? Yeah. Just, uh, two months ago. Yeah. So you're like basically in the same boat. Um, so I committed to myself that on most days, so probably six days a week, I'm exercising for 30 minutes. That is my commitment. And if it goes further than that, awesome. But I'm just moving my body for 30 minutes almost every single day. And it is just, it's huge. And for someone who's run like, I don't know, 17 marathons or however many marathons I've run, like that's not that much activity, right? But I just knew for my mental health, if I committed to anything more, it would stress me out. And if I committed to less, it would stress me out because I'm happier when I move my body. So I do think like it's so important to adjust those based on what's happening in your life. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I just think it's so common to look back at your best and always expect people think that they should be there or that, you know, ideally you could get back there, but maybe you can't, like maybe you just can't do the same things you were doing in your whatever age you were because you have different responsibilities and different inputs and trying not to judge yourself based on that is so important. And accepting if that's not what your heart wants to do, you don't have to do it. Yeah. You don't have to do that anymore if you don't want to. <laughs> Which I think people have a really hard time accepting. I mean, I have that. I'm going through that right now. I'm like, I'm only 37. We'll be 38 soon. <laughs> um, but like, do I want to run fast marathons anymore? Like, I know I physically can, but do I want to do that? I don't know. I'm like grappling with that right now. You know, I, and I have plenty of time to still do that, but like, I just don't know if I want to. So I'm accepting where I'm at right now and just continuing this like love for moving my body. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that is a question that a lot of people grapple with because it takes a lot of commitment to be at your fastest. Like there's a lot of things that you, I don't want to say have to give up, but you have to prioritize in a different way. And maybe you don't want to prioritize that way forever. And then you wonder like, well, what does that mean about me? Or what does that mean about my identity? If I'm not this person who's running really fast marathons anymore. And yeah, I think talking about it is so um, helpful because yeah, you're definitely not alone. <laughs> well, and it's hard too, because I think when you talk about the age thing, it's like, okay, physically, I know I can still do that. But if I'm giving it up, am I entering a different phase in life? And that's just a hard thing to, to do in general. Like it's, it's like when your kids move out of the house or, you know, when you hit 40 or when you hit 50 or whatever it is, like those like monumental life like points, they're mm -hmm. difficult. Yeah. Big pivots are really hard and, or like, you know, some athletes when they retire from sport, like it's really, really hard because you've dedicated so much time and you, you know that you can keep going like physically, like you said, but mentally and emotionally, you're like, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. And is that okay? And it is okay. And just because the other person that might have the same number of kids as you and might be the same age as you is still doing it doesn't mean you have to. And I think that, you know, we talked about that with social media earlier. Like I do think that that can positively or negatively affect those kinds of decisions. Yeah. And I think understanding the reason why you want to do it 
and being honest with yourself as to like, why, why do I want to do this? Or why was I doing this? And like the purpose behind it, I think is the most important part because you might be doing it for all the wrong reasons. And then you're feeling dissatisfied by it. And when you like, when you're, the work is, is hard, but if you're doing the work for the wrong reasons, it's, it's not going to be very fulfilling in the end. Man, it is hard to beat the satisfaction, though, of a long run with some good marathon pace miles in it. So I'm like not totally talking myself out of it yet. Like those endorphins, that dopamine hit, whatever it is, like that is real. Yeah. And I also think, you know, burnout is a a big thing um, that that is affecting lots of people. And like if you're losing motivation for something that you used to love, you might just be burnt out. Like there's lots of different inputs in life like we were just talking about. And yeah, maybe you just need a break. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I, in 2013, I ran a marathon PR and then I I was burnt out. Like I was like, I have ran three marathons in eight months and I am burnt out. And I went and did a half Ironman. And like, I think that that was a really good decision in my life at that point. And I think that when we're feeling those those feelings for our particular sport or whatever it is we're really interested in, we pivot. And we put energy into something else and maybe running will still be there, but we can sprinkle it in in different ways and maybe we'll come back to it going all in. But I do think focusing your like energy and talents and time into something else can be a really refreshing thing to do. Yeah, that's actually why I started trail running more regularly. Like I'm, it's not something I'm like, it's something I'm going to continue doing and not just in the off season because I've been racing for 17 years. I've been riding my bike, you know, six days a week for 17 years and I honestly needed a break. Like it was, it was just getting to the point where it was like hard and hormonally, I just wasn't feeling good for a long time after I had my son, like the first few months went great and my training was great, but then just, I was still breastfeeding. And I think that was messing me up a bit just emotionally. And I just felt terrible on my bike all the time and it was frustrating. So I just, I actually wanted to quit and I thought I'm not going to quit, but I'm going to pick up something else to distract myself. And it's done. It's been great because number one, I realized I actually really like trail running and I also have a long ways to go to get better at it, which is fun. And also like, dang, I really love riding my bike. Like I love my bike more than riding my mountain bike more than anything. And that helped remind me of that too. Oh, that's so good. Okay. I'm curious. What are the running uh, challenges that you want to take on? Um, well, the first one is uh, a 50K race in Squamish called the Squamish 50. And I discovered it a few years ago because I was out riding my bike and I was on the course and I saw people running. I was like, people can run on this? This is crazy. <laughs> and now that I've been running for like, whatever, eight months, I can see myself doing that. Um, someday I would actually like to, I think I would like to run a hundred mile uh, trail race just because I want to have that experience of like, holy crap, like this is crazy. <laughs> You did a mountain, a Leadville mountain bike race, didn't you? I did. Yeah, that was another bad decision. I it was actually right after I did that BC bike race in 2012 where I broke my wrist. Uh, and I did Leadville 100 and I my wrist was in a cast, which is so dumb. So don't ever do that, I everybody. I can't imagine. But I was just, I don't know. I was just committed to doing it and I did the race. <laughs> It was a bad idea. She I didn't loves hurt the it wor- sport. <laughs> I, didn't hurt my, I didn't hurt my wrist worse, so that was good. But yeah. I, maybe someday, but I, I don't know. I don't really like level 100 because it's a out and back dirt road race, which is not really my thing. <laughs> well, I was going to say, would you run Leadville 100? I would consider running Leadville 100. Um, this is a really crazy thing to say. And I probably have no idea even what I'd be getting myself into, or even if I could get in ever. But, um, my family loves camping outside Silverton and I've been camping there my whole life. And I remember seeing the hard rock hundred when I was a runner, like way back when, thinking to myself, I want to do that someday. So maybe someday I'll do the Hard Rock 100. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. Um, Tell us your best camping tips because I would like to be a camper with my kids, but in like adventure like that, when you talked about your parents, um, you know, instilling that love for camping and being in the mountains, I'm like, oh, I want to do that for my kids, but I do not like camping. I am... Probably not a good person to ask for advice with kids because we've taken one camping trip with our son and I was like, 
this is not fun. But just camping <laughs> in general, with or without the sleep thing for me, because I'm I'm at the point where I've, I need like five pillows around me to sleep good, and like <laughs> every, I need the sound machine. The temperature has to be perfect. I am like a yeah. sleep snob. So kids are no. I mean, my kids would be fine at this point. You know, my youngest is three. They would all just pass out at the end of the day because they'd be so tired. But um, yeah, like just in general, give us some camping tips. I'd say pick somewhere with an awesome view that you really want to have adventures as a base camp. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I have great tips. Like, eat, make food that you really like and make it a, a fun experience where everybody's included. Hang out at camp. Like, I like the feeling of just sitting in the forest and listening and, you know, that kind of thing. Go with friends because that also makes it more fun. Um, but I don't really have good tips about camping with kids, especially little ones, because they... Yeah, he's like, my son was like eating dirt and like running off in every direction and not taking naps. I was like, this is really hard. He's at a really hard age to do stuff like that. I am telling you what, once they're three and up, it's everything's a lot easier. And our our youngest, we started phasing him into that when he was way younger than the others. But um, it gets so much easier. You're going to have so much fun camping with him when he gets older. Yeah, I'd say maybe for camping, like embracing the simplicity, because when you get home, all the things that were uncomfortable, like you're not sleeping well, like your thermorest is going to, is deflating and it's hard to wash dishes uh-huh. and you got to go in the forest, to go to the bathroom. It's like, it just makes it so much better when you get home. Cause you're like, dang, like I have it really good at home. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. Um, that's kind of how I felt after we stayed at the, um, super eight on the way to move here. <laughs> I, we we were in some podunk town and we had our dog with us and um, that was the only hotel that would take us with their, our dog and I've I don't I mean maybe when I was a kid we stayed places like that but I haven't stayed at a super eight in a long time and it was not comfortable and I did not want to be there and so I felt very grateful to be in our new house when we got here clearly not a camper well you never know. <laughs> Okay, so I wanted to get into plant-based stuff, plant-based nutrition and things like that, but we have run out of time, so I think we should do it in another episode. Okay, that sounds great. Is that good? Yeah, there's a good book that just came out called The Plant-Based Athlete by Robert Cheek and Matt Frazier, and it features like 25 plant-based athletes from all different sports with everything under the sun that you could possibly imagine. Um, So if people are interested in plant-based, I'm actually in the book, which is kind of cool. Um, but the book itself is amazing and a huge resource for our plant-based athletes. So that could be a little teaser. Um, I actually bought that book. Oh, cool. I have not read it yet, but I keep wanting to crack it open in my like list of all the books. I, I like walk <laughs> around my house with like piles of books. Like I'm actually going to read all of them. I'll like move to the living room with all five books that I want to be reading and I'll read like five pages and three of them. Anyway, that book was making the rounds around my house with me for a while there. And then I gave up because I was still, I was into the other books more. So I need to get back into it. And I love audiobooks. I listen to the, I, I listen to them on 1.5 speed yeah. and I listen to them on my bike rides and it's just awesome. But then I end up buying the book if I really liked it. So I have like a pile of books that I'm going to reread and yeah, or I like have a book on my phone and I'll like read it for a couple minutes right before bed. Uh-huh. It's kind of the extent of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I love, I love reading and I'm the audio book. I'm what, it, what is it? The audio book here. We'll, we'll do into podcast now, but I'll just tell everybody the audio book that I'm reading right now is called the addiction inoculation, raising healthy kids in a culture of dependence. Kind of deep. Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm going to see if I can book the author for my parenting podcast. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get into like plant-based nutrition and fueling as an athlete in another episode with Sonia. But uh, Sonia, what is something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? I'd say, yeah, like a 100-mile trail running race. (laughs) Okay, we'll be watching for when that happens, but don't rush it. And I'd like to write a book. I've started and stopped many times. Um, yeah, when it's the right time, I know it'll come out. <laughs> um, on mindset? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And Sonia does have a course on mindset on her website. So if you're interested in learning more from her, you can find that. Is it sonialooney.com? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who is someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea, or a cocktail with? 
Oh my gosh, there's so many people. Um, I guess right now I'd have to say my running coach, uh, David Roach. Oh. I've actually, like, I, I love their, like, he and Megan's podcast and, you know, his articles and he's, he's my coach, but I've still never met him in person. So I think that'd be just super fun. I love them. I mean, everybody who talks to them loves them, but like they are <laughs> so great. And so funny. So, yeah, so great. So funny and just genuine. And if you are looking for some positivity in your life, definitely, if you're not, people aren't following them, go follow them. Um, what is the best, most recent book you've read? Hmm, I would say two books, The Craving Mind, or no, Unwinding Anxiety by Jed Brewer. He, he's written both of those books. It's a, just a really great book. And then uh, a book called Chatter by Ethan Cross, and it's about the science of self-talk. Ooh, okay. Uh, what is your last message to leave with the audience? Ah, uh, so many that I could leave. Um, I would say be kind to yourself and go big. I love it. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks. Okay, thanks so much, Sonia, for coming on the podcast. You all can follow Sonia on Instagram. She is Sonia Looney over there. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhines626. If you're local to the Indianapolis area, make sure you check out the Junior League of Indianapolis's 5K coming up on October 3rd. You can go to jlindy.org and use the code ANOTHER5 for $5 off your registration. All right. Thanks so much for being here today. And we will see you next week on the podcast. Have a great Friday, a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, we'll see you next Friday.